and would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel through the temple and he taught saying unto them is it not written my house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer but ye have made it a den of thieves and the scribes and the chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him for they feared him because all the people was astonished at his doctrine Thanks, Emmanuel, for the reading of the word. Um, the same portion, let's also read from uh, the same story, Matthew 21. Can we all stand up? We've all been sitting for a while, so maybe we can just stand up. Matthew 21, verses 12 to 15. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a robber's den. And the blind and the lame came to him to the temple and he healed them. And when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he had done and the children who were shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they became indignant and said to him, do you hear what these children are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read? Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have prepared praise for yourselves. Father in heaven, we commit this word into your hands and we pray, O oh Father, that you would speak to us. And Father, as we take your word upon, as I take your word upon my lips, I pray that if there's any sin, that you would forgive and that you would edify your word and give it to us. Thank you, Father. In your name we pray. Please sit down. So I'm standing here at uh, quiet short notice um, I had about a day and a half to 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 prepare this message and come to you uh, and I was just reminded a couple of years back uh, I can tell the story because my brother is not in this church anymore uh, a couple of years back uh, I was supposed to speak and I was a little overwhelmed and uh, this brother said uh, I mean he meant it well but just that it came out funny he said Charlie don't worry if God can make the donkey speak to Balaam, he can speak through you. <laughs> so, so I hope, I hope I speak better than that. Yeah. So, just coming to this, uh, just coming to this portion that we read. Now, what we need to understand is that uh, I mean, I'll, I'll take you through a bit of the history and the context here. Now, we know that this is happening in the temple, right? And to give you a brief background into the temple, now the first temple was built by King Solomon. Now we know that at that point of time, uh, after, during the time of the Exodus, the, the, the God's presence was with the children of Israel in the tabernacle, in the tent of the tabernacle. And, and the tabernacle moved with them as they went from place to place and as they crossed the wilderness. Eventually, uh, David during a time of peace in his kingdom, he felt that while he is living in a house of Sedar, while he is living in a fancy temple, the ark of the Lord is lying in a tent. And he felt motivated to build a temple to the Lord Almighty. But interestingly, the Lord does not allow him to build the temple. What he says is that you are a man of blood. You have shed a lot of blood. You have fought many wars. 
So the Lord really wanted a man of peace to build his temple. And eventually, in the time of King Solomon is when the temple gets built. And we know the story, right? Solomon got the best of artisans and, and people with the best workmanship. And that's how the temple was built. It was a magnificent temple. And, and, and you might also remember that story which we read in Kings and Chronicles that before the dedication of the temple, the cloud had come down. The Lord's presence had come down into the temple. And in fact, when the cloud was there, the temple priests couldn't get into the temple because that's how strong the presence of the Lord was. And eventually, Solomon prays that beautiful prayer and dedicates the temple for the service of God. Now, this very temple, eventually, during, I mean, I mean the people of Israel... They kept falling into sin, and as a result of the punishment, they were sent into exile. Now they went, now, 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 now the southern kingdom, they went into Babylon. And during the time of the exile, this temple was destroyed. This temple was completely torn apart, and it was destroyed. And later on, what happens is, during the time of, uh, during the, time of the Persian reign, the Lord worked in the heart of King Cyrus, and he issues a decree, and that's the time when Zerubbabel, Ezra, Nehemiah, they all eventually in batches make a return back to the land of, uh, make a return back to the land of Canaan. And eventually the temple gets built, which is the second temple. Now that temple, while it met, it possibly would have met all the specifications, it was not as grand as the temple of Solomon. The older people who lived long enough who remembered the Solomon's temple felt that this temple was not as grand as what Solomon had built. Later on, during the time of King Herod, he expanded this temple and eventually that temple also was destroyed. Now, the reason why I'm telling you all these stories about the temple is that the temple of God was a very central place for the life of the Israelites. The temple of God was where God's presence specifically dwelt in their midst the temple of God was where sacrifices were made. The temple of God was where people came from all over during the time of a feast like, or, or a festival like the Passover. Ben spoke to us this morning about the Passover, right? Now, Passover, this story is set a little before Passover. Now, you find that this story is spoken about in the... In the actually, actually, you'll think it is spoken about in four Gospels. It's there in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But in John the story that is mentioned was actually Jesus cleaning the temple or getting rid of uh, the, the unwanted elements in the temple at the beginning of his ministry. While the story looks the same, that story is actually at the beginning of Jesus' ministry and the story in Matthew, Mark and Luke was towards the end of Jesus' ministry. Now it's interesting that Jesus begins his ministry with the cleaning of the temple and he ends his ministry with the cleaning of the temple. And both are during the time of Passover. So now, during the time of Passover, what happens is, this is, this, this is interesting, during the time of Passover, the Jews come from all around the land. They come to the temple to offer their sacrifices. People from far and near. And, and, and I was reading somewhere that, you know, uh, more than a lack of people would have gathered towards the temple to offer their sacrifices before the Passover, or for the Passover. Now, why did Jesus get angry? Why did Jesus get angry? Now, let's try and look at this through the perspective of Jesus, right? What was happening is, at that time, the entire spiritual administration was very corrupt. So, the Romans were in power, and the temple priests were often appointed 
with the influence of the Roman, of the Roman, uh, of the Roman government. And as a result of which, the temple priests were, very, were many a times obligated, they were obligated to the, to, the, to the Roman government. Their position was, they were in a way indebted to the Roman government because those guys would appoint the priests. So there was corruption there. And these temple priests, what they would do is, so in the, in the, in, in, in the temple there was an outer court. Now the outer court is where even the Gentiles had access to. Now that entire outer court became a marketplace. Now what these temple priests would do is that they were allowing merchants who were possibly their friends, part of their kith and kin to set up stalls outside the temple. And they were selling sheep and goat and, and, and doves and you know, all these things, they were, they were allowing this to be, uh, to, be, to be sold there. And the system was so corrupt that when people would bring their own lamb, when they would bring their own doves and come to the temple, the priest would reject them, saying that this has some kind of a blemish. So then you're forced to actually buy from these guys. So do you see how corrupt the system was? They would actually force you to buy from these guys because it's not possible to go back into the market. And then if you go back to the market and buy also, there's no guarantee that these priests are going to allow it. They would again reject it. So people were being extorted. They were being exploited by these temple priests. And what it says is that even doves were being sold. So possibly some of them were genuine. Some of them really were wanting to buy from here because they come from far and want to give. But possibly these guys were exploiting the poor as well. And what a commentator says is that, you know, they would jack up the prices by up to 20 times during the time to exploit the people and to make money. So, so you know, we think India is corrupt. It was really corrupt back then, Right? And so this is what Jesus was actually seeing. So there were buyers, there were sellers, there were people selling all kinds of animals. And, 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 and you know, this is the temple of God. And when Jesus comes into this temple, he says, this house is to be a house of prayer for the nations. And, but you've made it into a den of thieves. So I was just, uh, as I was just going through this, uh, you know, I was just observing a few things. You know, Jesus would have seen the blatant extortion that was taking place in the name of God because it was all for the sacrifice. He would have, he would have uh, seen that, that, you know, Gentiles were allowed into the outer court. Even they had an opportunity to come and, and, and behold the true and mighty God. And the place of Gentiles was taken away. That is where the marketplace was set up. And a house of prayer had become a commercial hub. You know, in Malayalam we say chanda. That is what is happening. The temple of God had become a chanda. So just look at what has happened, right? And this story, I remember when we were in Sunday school, this story is a story which everybody loves because it shows another side of Jesus. It shows Jesus cracking the whip. It shows Jesus just pushing things down. It shows another side of Jesus and it's, and it's very exciting because all the other stories of Jesus are those of Jesus being mild, Jesus being, Jesus being a God who heals, Jesus being a very forgiving God. But here we see another side of Jesus. Now it's always exciting when this anchor is turned at someone else. But I was just wondering if this anchor is turned towards me, how would I view it? And today what, that's what I want to do. I want to look at how 
I mean, we, we think of those people as being corrupt. But I want us to take a few moments to look at our own lives as we go through this, right? Now, 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 now in this story, what are some of the few things which can apply to us? So Jesus was angry, not only with the sellers, he was also angry with the buyers. Now, if you look at it from a, from, from, from a, from the, from, from the view of the person who is coming to offer a sacrifice. Now, as per the, in the Old Testament, you were supposed to bring a lamb, which was spotless, which was blemishless, and you were supposed to bring it to the temple. While a lot of people would have genuinely tried to do that, for most people, it was fulfilling a religious obligation. They just wanted to get a sacrifice done. So for them, it was very easy to come to the temple to pay some money and then get the sacrifice done. It was the most convenient thing for a buyer to do. He didn't have to bother about raising the lamp. He didn't have to bother about anything. Money, pay the cash, get the goat, get the sacrifice done, and walk out. It was all so convenient, right? And this was the house of God. And this is where they were coming to offer their offerings and their worship. And I was just, as I was reading this, I was just thinking, today, today, um, me and maybe many of you, right? We are so caught up in this convenient worship. Worship is so convenient to us, right? I mean, today is a Sunday. There are, what, some 120 of us sitting here, maybe? How many of us can actually say that today we came into the house of God with all the preparation that was to be done as we came to remember the greatest sacrifice that has ever happened in the history of this world? The greatest sacrifice which bought my salvation and your salvation. How many of us can say that we genuinely asked God for forgiveness of our sins before we stepped into this place? We genuinely asked God, we genuinely prepared to bring a sacrifice, which is the fruit of our lips, today as we stepped in. I mean, I, I have I've been so guilty of this, okay? Because it's not convenient, right? It's not very convenient for us to set aside time. And it's not just about preparation. How many of us led that life? Our life is supposed to be a worship. How many, how many of us over the last seven days have really lived a life which is worthy of the worship? It's not convenient. Look at all the other activities of the house of God. I mean, the general tendency could be that it's not convenient to make it there. So we are like these guys. We, 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 it, it's, it's convenient worship. It's conveniently attending to matters of God that, that, that is prevalent today. But do we really long for the things of God? Do we really mean to be of service to the house of God? Genuinely. Keeping God as priority and leaving aside our conveniences. And I was just thinking that if that is not the case, then I am as guilty as these buyers. Why blame them? I don't want to prepare. I don't want to set aside anything and bring to God. But, but I'm like those guys. They come and look for the best sheep, pay the money, and, and get on. You know, David, when uh, in Psalm 27, he says, One thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate on his temple. Meditate in his temple. Is that the attitude that we have 
when we come into the presence of God, to really behold God for all that he's done for us and therefore to prepare and give him the best that is due to him. Another, another, another thing that, uh, that was going on, one of the most blatant things that was going on was the merchants. They were, they were profiteering, right? They were profiteering. For them, this was, maybe they would have thought this was like a godsend opportunity to make money there. They, were, they had all their cattle and they had all their doves and everything and they had hiked the prices by 20 times and, and they were just having the time of their lives. And during the time of Passover, there is a temple tax which has to be paid, which is, which is, which is shekel. So the people who come from other places, they cannot pay in their currency to the temple. So you have to exchange your money and exchange it for shekel, and the shekel is what has to be given to the temple. Okay? And there were these money changers who had set up their stalls as well. So they were like the, you know, Thomas Cook of those days. So they, they had these stalls there, and then you would exchange and get a shekel and then give it to the temple. These guys were also exploiting the people, and they were having a very high exchange rate to, to, to you know, in return for the shekel. So it was complete profiteering that was going on there. And again, we think, oh, we, we kind of feel disgusted with the way things were going on. But I was just thinking, we may not really be profiteering um, literally in, in, in material terms. But, but I was just thinking, there is a lot of, uh, if I can call it, spiritual profiteering that happens in the house of God. And, and why do I say that? Many a times we as Christians, you know, we like to be like a sponge. What does a sponge do? You put it in water, it just absorbs everything. But you don't want to give out anything else. You just want to just keep absorbing everything and enjoying the fellowship, enjoying the study, enjoying everything that the church can provide. But in the New Testament, what it says is that for a church to be optimally functioning, each person has to not only give, but not only take, but each person has to give as well, depending on the spiritual gifts that each one of us, each one of us have, right? It's like different parts of the same body. Everything has to work well. It's not like one lung can work and the other lung goes to sleep. No, both has to work. All organs have to work. So today we as CBF, if each one of us, it's not for us to point fingers, but for each one of us to really check and see, are we optimally functional in the house of God? Because otherwise I think what we're doing is spiritually profiteering. We are just just taking it in. We are just taking it in and we're giving nothing out. You know, some of us might have the gift of prophecy. Some of us might have the gift of service, the gift of giving, the gift of mercy. When is the last time that you've exercised any of these gifts? Because if you haven't, then what we're doing is spiritual profiteering. When is the last time that we have met the need of the poor? When is the last time we have, met, we have visited somebody who is sick? When is the last time that we have adopted an orphan? When is the last time we had compassion on a widow? If we are not doing this, then, you know, it is a kind of spiritual profiteering. That's what I felt that was happening. So church, um, sometimes, and I, and I speak this uh, specifically to CBF, right? Uh, when I talk of spiritual profiteering, 
sometimes you know we come to cbf because uh, um you know cbf is a cool cool church to be in we have music and we have young crowd and we have people who work in good companies the it and you know the works we have everything and sometimes maybe if you are associated with with a good church you get good marriage proposals it gives you good standing in the society if you look at it that's all profiteering you're just looking at it from your point of view what is it that can you keep your hand on your heart and really check what is it that you have given back into the house of god if you haven't your priorities are wrong if you haven't the house of god is wanting and if you haven't you are like a merchant you're a spiritual merchant you're just profiteering and not being the disciple that you're called to be moving on the next point like i said the the court the outer court this was a place for the gentile where the gentiles were free to come into the house of god and it is that very place it is that very place where the stalls were put up it's that very place which is filled with all kinds of cattle and doves and money changers and everything tell me something just 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 go back in time and just see if you were a gentile and if you were to pass by the temple of god and if you see this happening will you ever step into that place you're seeing blatant commercialization that is going on there you're seeing all kinds of nonsense being spoken about there and one commentator has said that during those days you know when all this trade was happening you know there would be auctions and 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 people were very abusive they would even use bad language seeing this a gentile would he ever feel like getting into the house of god he would not so i was just thinking so this was in the in 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 the four court in the outer court and i was just thinking today in cbf if a gentile of today's day and age which is possibly an unbeliever if he walks in what would he see today does he see genuine worship does he see a people whose hearts are in tune with god does he see a people who just not only preach but people who truly live out their lives people who truly have compassion on others people who truly practice what they preach is that what the gentiles see in our outer courts today and our outer court might not just be a a church it could be wherever we are wherever we spend most of our time our neighborhood our office or college wherever it might be when the gentile comes into the outer court what does he see in you is he seeing something which will which will be repulsive for him or is he seeing something which would genuinely attract him into the house of god which will genuinely attract him to the holy god and 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 will he feel like following that great god who is in the inner court right or are we going to be like those priests because the new testament which says that each of us are priests each of us are in god's service there we can blame the priests for the corruption here we have only ourselves to blame if the gentiles if we are instead of becoming instead of reflecting god's love to the gentiles if we are going to be a barrier to them then 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 we have only ourselves to blame in the camp we spoke we we heard uncle speak about man's responsibility what has been our responsibility 
Have we been turning away seekers through our lives and through our conduct? Or have we been instrumental in reflecting God's love to the people around us? Let's think about that. And the next point that I want to say is, uh, uh, this is clear in Mark, in, in the portion in Mark it says, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. God's house is to be a house of prayer or a house of worship. Are we really being a church that we are called to be? Are we really being a church that we are meant to be? In the Old Testament, we find that Hannah went into the temple of God to pray and had her prayers answered. Are we a CBF known as a church where people can come to the church? When I say church, not just this physical church, but when people can come and pray to God and have their prayers answered. Are we known as a church which will intercede? Are we known as a church where you can be sure that all your needs will be made known to God? Are we known as a church which, which, which is a place where anybody can come in at any time and express what they have and be assured that you will have people praying for them? Because that's what the house of God is supposed to be, right? It says my house was known, was, was to be a house of prayer, but you've made it into a den of thieves. God's house is a house of prayer and worship. And worship is not something which, which we quickly do on a Sunday. Each of us, we are stones and we are built into the image of God. And, and we are being built into the image of God. And can we confidently say that Today, CBF is genuinely a house of prayer. Or is it just another cool church to go to? I think that's something which, which we need to think about. So that's essentially what I had to say. I really didn't have much more to say from this short passage. But, but I really want each of us, as we reflect upon this, this, this story, which we know since childhood, about Jesus taking the whip, Let's look, into, let's look into our own lives, right? Let's look, into, let's look into whether we come to God week after week, week after week with convenient offerings. If we are, let's change that. Let's keep God as priority and do everything. And then let convenience take a back seat. Let's, if we are spiritually profiteering, I think it's time to not only give, not only take, but to give as well. Give as much as you're gifted. Ensure that your gifts are utilized. And ensure that the body of God, the church of God is edified. Do we turn away seekers in our outer courts? Let our outer courts be one where God's love is reflected to the people around us. Let each of us figure out for us, ourselves which is that outer court of ours where Gentiles come in touch with us. And eventually, how can we reflect them back to God? And let's be a church that we are called to be, which is, which is being a house of prayer. Let's prayerfully ask God to meet the needs of everybody so that the church is revived, so that the city is revived, so that this nation is revived. You know, the, I've often thought the, the, the solution to all of India's problem is really not another political revolution or anything. It is if people come together and pray to God, he's the God who can change nations. He's the God who can raise up kings, who can bring down kings, and he's the God who can work. But we as a church 
as, as, as a body of believers, have we been praying for God, for an outpouring of the Spirit into this land? Possibly we are not. You know, and um, you know, just before Jesus went into the temple, he had that grand welcome as he went into Jerusalem, right? He, he uh, uh, people uh, showed him the palm branches, they put down their garments, they were shouting Hosanna. They actually would have thought that here is a superstar who's going to come to redeem us from the rule of the Romans. That's what they would have thought. They all were looking for that political uh, liberation, not a spiritual liberation, which is why possibly, you know, they ensured that they gave him that grand welcome as he, as, as he stepped into Jerusalem. But it's interesting that, that, that spiritual freedom is not really what they sought. You know, so people wanted Jesus to be a superstar who will redeem them from the Romans. And Jesus surprisingly attacked his own people seeing the sin within. That's what happened in the temple. He attacked his own people. And just before I close, I just want to read this uh, uh, two sentences by MacArthur, what he wrote about this portion. He said that instead of attacking Rome, Jesus attacked Judaism. Instead of being a conqueror, he was a confronter. Instead of promoting revolution, he preached righteousness. And instead of clearing out the enemy without, which is outside, he cleaned out the enemy within. So church, I would really request that uh, we pay heed to God's word and we clean out the enemy within and be a church because we are part of we are part of Christ's bride. We are supposed to be the beautiful bride which will one day join our groom. And so let's do everything that we can and that we are asked to do to be that perfect bride, to be that perfect church and reflect God's glory. And the question that each one of us need to ask is when Jesus closely examines our lives Will he be happy or will he take the whip? May his name be glorified. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this time. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord Jesus, Father, if you are to walk in today, Lord, Father, we are not sure what each of our state would be. But Father, we pray that you would give us grace to be a church which is after your heart, Lord. Father, we pray that we would keep you as priority, Lord, so that convenience goes behind and that you and your work goes ahead, Lord. We pray that we would be a church where each of us would not only receive, but each of us would give as well, Lord, and make use of all the gifts and talents that you have given us, Lord. And Father God, we pray that we as a church would be a church which would show light to the Gentiles, Lord, the very light that we have received so that people are drawn and attracted towards you, O Father. And Father, we pray that you would give us grace to be a house of prayer, a church which intercedes, a church which beseeches you on behalf of our country, on behalf of our society, and on behalf of our people, Lord. So Father, we pray that in the coming days you would bless our lives, and we thank you for talking to us today. We give you all the glory, O Father, in Jesus Christ's name we pray.